All right. Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Dr. Seth Franzman, Middle East Correspondent at the Jerusalem Post, Executive Director of the Middle East Center for Reporting and Analysis, and author of several books, including his latest, Drone Wars. Join us to discuss Drones and the Transformation of Warfare. Dr. Franzman will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Dr. Seth Fransman. Well, great. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Um, there's a, Well, I guess it's tonight here. It's, it's the afternoon there. Um, so there's a lot to cover. I have 15 minutes, and then I'm happy to take some questions. So I'll try to try to go over some different things. I wrote a book uh, several years ago called Drone Wars which looks at the kind of subjects we're gonna, I'll talk about today. It talks about kind of the history of drones and how we got to where we are and the kind of global arms race for better drone technology. And I kind of wrote it as a way to answer the question, you know, are drones for warfare, what the tank was, you know, for warfare in the thirties and forties or what modern battleships were in the first world war or something like that. What, what does this technology mean? And obviously the word drone is a kind of big catch-all phrase. It can kind of mean almost anything. Um, there are drones that are used, obviously uh, ro robots that are on the land. There's, there's things that are in the water now, unmanned surface vessels. For our purposes, I think we'll talk about uh, remotely piloted vehicles or unmanned aerial systems, which are basically the UAVs or what you'd think of as a, as a predator drone. And then the whole menagerie or kind of evolution of how they they're they're all sorts of different types of them, whether it's very small, you know, handheld drones that you can, you know, operate from your phone or something. I mean, obviously, there's commercially available ones like that, quadcopters or or ones like that that the military can use up to drones that are are very, very large, like the United States uh, Global Hawk, which costs about $200 million and is used for um, basically massive surveillance. You can, it's up at, you know, 30,000 feet or whatever, and it can it can do surveillance similar to what a, a U-2 spy plane would have done back in the 1950s. And obviously with drones, the big, the big win is that you don't have to have pilots in them, but obviously if you're spending $200 million on them, uh, you can't exactly lose very many of them. So, with that being said, let's look at the kind of current state of affairs that we're seeing these days in the Middle East and also in the in the wider world. Just this week, there was a report of a drone attack on Isfahan, which is in Iran. And according to the Iranian sources, and I guess the Wall Street Journal of the reports, several drones were apparently involved in a very successful attack against some sort of Iranian uh, military facility or, or weapons manufacturing site there. And that just brings into stark contrast, I think that we are seeing today, Iran has actually condemned a Ukrainian official for basically saying, well, we warned you, you shouldn't be sending you know, drones to Russia. And this is a very fascinating, sudden, interesting story because we have, a, we have drones being used to attack Iran, Iran is a country that's involved in building weapons of mass destruction, like the obviously Iranian enrichment, uh, ballistic missiles, and it also builds drones. And Iran's drones have showed up being used by the Russians 
to attack Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian cities and civilians mostly over the last year of conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And I think it's worth thinking very quickly about how that web all connects. Iran, a country that is obviously a threat to the Middle East, a threat to Israel, very anti-American, a country that's developing you know, nuclear weapons probably, but it was generally thought of as a weapon whose power or a country whose power doesn't extend a lot beyond the Middle East. Nobody thought of Iran really invading Europe, right? All of a sudden, Iran is exporting drones, which are a weapon system that most people thought of as something that the United States or high-tech countries kind of dominate, exporting drones to Russia. Russia is a country that got, built Sputnik and was um, you know, one of the first into space. So how is it that Russia needs Iranian technology to fight a war against Ukraine? And how does it all add up? So with that being said, let's go back, you know, 30, 40 years, and I'll, I'll give you a quick, a brief in, uh, kind of introduction of how we got here and where, we're, where we might be going. So if you go back to the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, obviously what you had in terms of air forces and, and aerial assets was things like, uh, you know, jet planes or propeller planes or helicopters. And when the United States was involved in fighting in places like Vietnam or all over the world, it made sense if you were testing new missiles and planes and technology that you might want to test them on, on objects that behaved like a plane. So what dro the original drones were basically target, basically things that were built to be targeted. And they would be launched and then you'd shoot them down. Uh, and then later on, you also had drones that were used on one way or certain types of missions to do photographic work. But in those days, you have to remember that there wasn't, there wasn't real time video. So you'd fly a drone over something and take a bunch of pictures. The problem with that is once you retrieve the pictures, they're already you know a half day or a day old or a week old or something, right? So actually, if you're trying to fight an actual battle, how does it, how does it really help you to get those pictures back? It's not necessarily that great. So what, what the real revolution in terms of having the technology was already there to, there to build re remote control planes. I mean, in those days, you could even have child's toys that were some sort of remote control things. But the real revolution was something that Israel figured out, which was that you could use relatively cheap, basically a large remote, you know, a large kid's toy or a small plane, remote control, and you could put um, real-time video on it. And once the technology for video and communications caught up with the fact that you had technology that you could build things that could fly around, all of a sudden there was a huge breakthrough in, in terms of Israel using, in the beginning, relatively simple, basically drones that they would fly over to figure out in real, basically in real time, where were Syrian air defenses in, uh, at that time, Syrian air defenses in Lebanon. The drones that Israel had built that actually had been, they originally thought that they could be used in the, against the Egyptian front. But as we all recall, there was a, a peace deal between Israel and Egypt. But the big, the big threat then obviously was, was Lebanon, terrorist groups in Lebanon, and Syrian air defenses in Lebanon. The problem with air defenses is they move around. Some of them are mobile uh, SAM, surface-to-air missiles. So if you want to know where they are immediately, you can use drones. Another thing you can use, obviously, is piloted aircraft. If you anyone who knows about the Vietnam War has seen the movie Flight of the Intruder has seen a film in which, uh, you know, American pilots were sent up using shrikes or missiles that were basically designed to home in on, on radar or surface-to-air missile uh, facilities and destroy them. The problem with using piloted aircraft is 
that you have to go up against the very thing that you're trying to kill, which is a surface to air missile. So that means that you're risking pilots and, no, and nobody wants to risk Air Force pilots. Most countries don't have a lot of Air Force pilots and most, most countries, the Air Force um, jets are very expensive. So you can't have them being shot down. And in Israel's case, what the big revolution was then in the in 80, 80, 82 in the 80s was to use these cheap drones that were basically expendable to go up and figure out where all these deadly air defense sites were. And then the Israeli Air Force could go in or and just evaporate and destroy all that stuff. So this was immediately seen by the U.S. By the CIA and Defense Department as this is an amazing, simple, cheap technology. How can we learn from what the Israelis are doing? And within about 10 years, um, and actually it was it was an Israeli in, in America who helped to develop the prototype of what became the Predator drone. And that became, if you all recall back in the 90s or early 2000s, the Predator drone was the kind of non of what we think of as a drone. One, one example of them is in the in the uh, what is that? It's the Smithsonian of the Air and Space Museum. It's near um, near Washington, DC. You can see one of the originals. That was built in the United States. It was used along with a few other types of drones in the 1990s. There were drones that were used, not predators, but other types that were used even in the Gulf War. And if you read the accounts of it, they say that one, one Iraqi uh, unit even surrendered to an American drone, not knowing what it was. But basically, what, what's important to come away from that is that if you go in the 80s and the 90s, the United States and Israel were the big global superpowers in terms of drones. The Israel was building a lot of different types of drones, some of them kind of similar to what you see in terms of the Predator, some of them a little bit simpler. Uh, some of them were specially designed like what's called the Harpy or Harap, which are drones that were what we was now called the loitering munition, which is a drone that's specially designed to seek out and hunt down uh, radars and take out air defenses and things like that to basically suppress enemy air defenses. So Israel was already evolving this idea of, of drones. Think about evolution, like one of those um, evolutionary trees where all the dinosaurs are, are related to one simple dinosaur or whether it's dinosaurs or humans or whatever you like. So think of the drone like that. You have just a few types that were built back in the 70s and 80s. And then you have this huge explosion of technology uh, in the 90s and 2000s. So Israel was building drones. Mo most of the global drone market in the 90s and early 2000s was basically Israeli drones. And that's because the United States building things like Predators, the United States didn't want to sell that technology to anyone. The U.S. wanted to use that technology for its own purposes in the global war on terror. And it's very interesting that the United States was arming the Predator drones around the time of the hunt for bin Laden and was not able to use the uh, the armed predators to go after bin Laden at that time, necessitating eventually a huge war. So you've, let's fast forward from there. When you get to the US and Israel are pioneering and building all these drones, and unsurprisingly, during the global war on terror, some of these drones crashed and the Iranians got were able to get a hold of several several American drones and then tried to reverse engineer them. The Iranians are interesting because even back in the 80s, Iran was building drones. They had probably seen pictures of what the Israelis were doing and they had used drones in the front lines in the Iran-Iraq war, but they had never gotten them to be very sophisticated. And when they copied American drones in the, in the 2000s and the last decade, 
they copied things like the Predator, like the Sentinel and other types of drones, but they were never able to, to they were able to copy the structure, but they were never able to fill them with all the technology that you'd imagine, like satellite communications, like cameras, electro-optics, you know, missiles. They, they didn't have all the technology that was there, that was available to countries uh, like the United States, like Israel, like U.S. allies, like members of NATO, what have you. Um, so what the Iranians ended up doing, which I think is very interesting, is that they they realized, listen, we're not the United States, we're not Boeing, uh, we're not Lockheed Martin, we can't build what they can build, but we can build lots of these simple machines, and what we can do is kind of create an instant air force, because it's important to remember the Iranians don't have a real air force. Iran is a, is a very dangerous country, but most of its planes are actually planes that are uh, hangovers from the Shah's Air Force in the 70s. We're talking about aircraft like the F-4 have now been flying for 50 years. So Iran built an instant air force. They built a lot of drones and then they got their precision and targeting down and they, they packed them full of munitions and they began to use them in the last few years to attack uh, oil facilities in Saudi Arabia, to attack uh, ships in the Gulf of Oman, and it's obvious that they've gotten those drones to be a lot better than something that's simple like a German V1 or something in the Second World War, because they've been able to target ships that are on the move, which means you need some sort of real-time intelligence. It's not just a matter of uh, just giving the drone a, a pre-programmed destination. And when Russia decided to invade Ukraine, apparently because Russia wanted to wage war on the cheap, Russia was able to acquire a whole bunch of Iranian Shahed style of drone. And Iran in the past had not built huge quantities of drones. It doesn't have a manufacturing capacity exactly like the United States. Although, once again, what's interesting is that the manufacturing capacity it does have for drones, some of the factories are actually old factories from the Shah's era that were actually built by American uh, technicians. But be that as it may, the Russian decision to acquire Iranian drones, I think, has probably put their program on steroids and probably means that Iran is going to get a lot more technology transfers or some sort of other uh, payment in kind from Russia. Well, that, where that should lead us, I think, in terms of as I wrap up the, this 15-minute discussion is to is what's happening today, which is that Iran's drone program is very dangerous. It's, it's threatened and Americans, it's killed Americans uh, in attacks, or maybe it's not killed them, but it's, it's been involved in the follow-up attacks in Iraq and Syria. Um, it's been involved in attacks on Israel. Again and again, Iranian drones have been flown from Syria, from Iraq, from Iran against Israel. It's now been used against ships uh, off of the coast of um, UAE and, and Yemen. Uh, usually Iran targets ships they think are actually commercial ships that are somehow owned by Israelis, although in this case, when it comes to international shipping, usually ships are owned by one, one company and then there's another company involved, very complicated. But their point is it's very dangerous. And Israel has pioneered the kind of air defense systems that can stop the drones. And obviously, you've heard a lot of calls, I think, from Ukraine, you know, that Israel could try to supply them that kind of stuff, like, like Iron Dome is very good against drones. Um, it's obviously a short range defense system. Israel's building lasers now. Laser, you can lose lasers to shoot them down. You can actually shoot down drones with, uh, with air down missiles. You can scramble F-16s. Most drones don't fly very fast. So you can, you can, there's a lot of ways to kill, kill these things. But the, the next, I think the next generation of what we're going to see in terms of drones and technology is not, not just what the Iranians are doing with these kamikaze drones um, or even things like the Predators and stuff like that. What you're going to see is a lot more drones used, built and used in the West that are drones using what's called you know, artificial intelligence and all of this kind of deep learning. What that means is 
the individual soldier can go into battle with a backpack, like special forces, hike into the hiking, you know, 20 kilometers in, take out a drone from their backpack and a canister, push a button, the drone shoots up in the air and it deploys. And the, the soldier can sit there with a with a little gadget like this, and he he or she can point and click, and they can see where their enemies are. The drone will also ha have a munition on it, so that if the soldier wants, they and they see a target opportunity, like a terrorist or what have you, or an enemy squad, they can slam into that squad and, and kill those people. Or they can bring the drone back, put on a new battery, and they can send in send in people to to, to neutralize the target. You'll even have drones that nowadays, like robotic dogs and things, that can go into houses and scan the house and identify weapon systems and because it has artificial intelligence it has deep learning so the more that it sees of a type of enemy it learns how that enemy behaves or what to look for the next time and you that means of course that you have a lot of this kind of big tech big data like uh, drone swarms and things like that i mean for people that are a bit scared about a future that looks a bit more like um you know terminator 2 or robocop i think it's uh, it's actually not far off and i think that's what we're we're seeing and we're seeing a lot of it and in, in the Middle East is a big, um, I don't want to see, yeah, say testing ground, test bed for a lot of this technology because, for instance, Israeli companies have sent unmanned surface vessels, basically drones, to the Gulf to participate in U.S. Uh, naval initiatives, uh, Navy initiatives, that because the U.S. Navy wants to use unmanned systems at sea because you want to patrol the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. Do you want to patrol it with three destroyers and aircraft carrier? Or do you want to use 500 little unmanned surface vessels? Well, if you're if you were a Navy captain, I think it's probably easier to deploy a bunch of naval unmanned surface vessels, and you don't have to have uh, any interactions with the Iranians in which the, you might have people get captured or something weird like that. So that being said, I'll wrap up, and then you all can ask questions or whatever you'd like. We can take this however you'd like. I didn't mention China. I only had 15 minutes. China is obviously a big drone power today, and we could talk about that as well, if you like. Absolutely, thank you so much. Uh, so on that note, can you actually discuss China a little bit, the, the US-China race for the drone drone intelligence? Yeah, 100%. So you know, China's, China's interesting because as you can imagine, China's a huge emerging economy. It's a, it's a rival for global hegemony with the United States and the West. And if we look at, you know, drones, I think are very symbolic as, as the drones came into existence with the rise of the U.S. and countries like Israel. When the, when, the go, when the Cold War ended, the drones suddenly became the thing that the U.S. was using to fight the global war on terror because the Soviet, the, the defeat of a, a state like the Soviet Union was replaced by all this global chaos. And China has jumped into that vacuum of global chaos. And it has, of course, decided to do what China does with everything else. It has built built a huge number of drones using massive manufacturing capacity, but a little bit, you know. But unlike, it's not like Iran. It has really good technology. But again, when you compare the Ch Chinese, China builds knockoffs. A lot of them are knockoffs a bit. They look like Predator drones and things. They'll build something that looks a lot like an American drone, but it doesn't fly quite as far. It's not as quite as endurable. It can't survive all weather conditions. Its missiles aren't as good. It's like every single thing is there. It's just not quite there. But as you all, we all know with China, you know, just like with the Navy, 
They don't care if they say, okay, well, we'll build, we'll build a thousand of them. I mean, China knows how the American military thinks. Procurement systems in America think, well, we'll buy 50. The Chinese say, okay, well, we'll just build thousands. We don't care. So, so what? It's not quite as good. It's expendable. We'll build more. And I think China has flooded the, the world's drone market. First of all, the commercial market, all, almost all of it's Chinese. But the military market, for a while in the Middle East, because U.S. partners and allies, and I don't mean Israel here, I mean the Gulf states and things, no one would sell them drones because the Americans were saying, well, we don't want armed drones. You're going to use drones to kill you know, human rights. We're not sure. Well, the Chinese said, okay, that's fine. We don't care about human rights. You can have as many drones as you want. Just give us money. So all these countries in the Middle East did acquire Iranian, uh, Chinese drones. But again, I think the record has shown, actually, the Chinese drones are not quite as good as, ever, as China wants to claim they are. And China's not the only country jumping into that. Turkey as well is building drones. And I think, again, with Turkey is another example where the hype doesn't make the reality. Turkey built what's called a Bayraktar drone. It's a, it's a simple, cheaper, ver smaller version of a Predator or Reaper. It has missiles. They exported them to Ukraine. But if you Google around, I'd, I'd be interested to find, or I'd be interested to challenge anyone to find any reports that show that, they're, that Ukrainians are really still using them. That may be because the Turks are not sending the missiles. But again, there you have a system that works, but it's, again, it's not really quite as good as what the West is building. And so, again, with China, we're going to see a big problem with China in terms of if there's a conflict in the Pacific, China will try to use drones and hypersonic missiles to overwhelm using mass uh, the U.S. U.S. US are friendly navies over there. And that will be their tactic. And I think that will be, of course, a day that nobody wants to see, but I think that day could come eventually. Thanks so much. Sorry, my mouse is acting up. Uh, Ariel Grumberg asks, in five years, will battles be fought by a technical specialist or soldiers? And Jay Lewis follows up, at some point, will piloted aircraft become obsolete? I think we'll see a lot more where drone, you know, drone operators are are trained operators and they're not pilots. In the United States, you know, it's like everything else. When they were building drones, there was a big debate about whether the Air Force or the, or the, or the Army would use them and whether the CIA would operate them or the Air Force. And of course, the Air Force was saying, no, 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 we should have pilots flying them. And it's like, well, yeah, that's nice. But someone who worked to become an F-16 pilot, do they really want to fly drones in, at Creech Air Force Base in a, in a room like this? Um, so I think that actually today, most countries have transitioned to train, obviously, drone operators, which which is totally different than being an actual piloted aircraft. And I think, obviously, when we talk about, you know, battlefields of the future, like we're even seeing here with Israel in, in Gaza and places like that, where a lot of drones are being used. I mean, yeah, I just think we'll, you'll see a lot more of those specialists. But it's just like everything else in, in, in I guess, in the way that, that wars are fought. When you have a new technology, when you have a, when you have a tank, you suddenly need to have tankists. When you have... Um, new types of submarines. So you're going to have a bunch of engineers on nuclear submarines. And you say, well, when engineers not a traditional soldier, you know, he or she's not running around with an M16. Okay, but that's how wars are fought nowadays. You don't need, you know, these aren't, we don't fight wars now with millions of people. It's not the US Civil War, World War One. Even in Ukraine, fine. Okay, it's a conventional war. But in the end of the day, what's maybe going to decide that war is the technology being sent to Ukraine, not the people on the field. Um, will manned aircraft be obsolete? No, I don't think they will, because I think that I don't think there's any evidence that drones can do what an F-35 can do yet. So a lot, the drones are always, are able, usually able to fill a niche. Like there are drones that do surveillance. There are drones that are kamikaze drones. There isn't a drone that does what an F-15 does. I mean, 
but we're just not there yet. So could we get there? Yes, but a military would have to decide that let's build this thing and have it be, well, I think the, the, next, the next step is what's called optionally manned. Build a, these new bombers, I think the U.S. is building that are these kind of flying wings, the stealth bombers. They, they say they can be optionally manned, which is a good, which is basically, it's like, you know, you can have an aircraft like an SR-71. That could have been optionally manned if, if they'd had the technology. There's no reason to have people in SR-71s. So I think, yeah, a lot of stuff can be optionally manned. But, you know, for very sophisticated aircraft, like F-35s was called fifth or sixth generation aircraft. I think the idea of having a human in there is important. And, and so I think that, and, you know, look, air forces are, are important, are prestigious um, gold-plated uh, parts of the military. You, you think that the militaries, military people don't like to just give up their jobs, right? I mean, so even if you don't need the people, they still want to have people in there. Thanks so much. Alexis Griller asks, how successful has Ukraine been in combating Russian missiles and drones? Chances that Israel might yet provide the Iron Dome? I think that Ukraine has been very successful, even without Iron Dome. Um, it's, it's, it's apparently shooting down, you know, 60 to 80, 90 percent of what's being thrown over at it. So, you know, again, you don't want any of this stuff to get through. Even Iron Dome, I think it's, you know, it's approaching like 98 percent success rates or whatever. But but, you know, one missile falling on a civilian or a hospital is not acceptable. So we want 100 percent. This just isn't the type of wars that people fought, you know, back in the day when everyone thought that well, it's OK. Well, whole cities are are destroyed. It's OK. That's fine. We'll all, be, we'll all survive. So Ukraine is being is successful, but it's suffering grievously. Most of, the, most of the suffering in Ukraine is not because of Russian drones. Russian drones are just, you know, just a few here and there. The big suffering is other things, like the fact they have a front line and lots of people dying and, and our Russian artillery destroying cities and things. So I think that, uh, I don't think Israel will supply weapons to uh, Ukraine. I think that the Netanyahu government is even, is probably less inclined than the last government. And um, look, Israel has a lot of, Israel needs the technology in Israel. There aren't exactly... There aren't farms out there with iron domes just floating around. You, you, there aren't there aren't extra iron domes. So, if insofar as iron dome could go to Ukraine, who makes iron dome? The, the America also makes it. Raytheon makes iron dome. So Raytheon could build it and send something like it. And and by the way, there's other systems out there like iron dome. And iron dome is not is not the magic wand against drones. Iron dome works very well in Israel because Israel is a small country, but it's a short range air defense system. I don't think a huge battlefield like um, Ukraine, maybe Iron Dome is not the best solution, although you could use it to defend cities like Kiev. Again, there's other stuff out there that's similar to it that, that can work. Patriot systems, by the way, Patriots can shoot down drones. Patriot systems is kind of like Iron Dome. It's a bit of a waste of money because you're shooting down a simple drone with an expensive missile. That's why Israel is building lasers, because lasers are the, ne are the idea as well. Why do I have to waste missiles on this? Uh, but again, I, it looks like the West will send patriots to Ukraine. So I think the whole question of Israel sending stuff may be moot. Although if, you know, there are air defense systems Israel makes um, that, that obviously could, could be potentially used if everyone agreed on it. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Mark A. Fowler asks, is it likely Iran has armed Hamas, or sorry, Hezbollah, with its drones, and how effective are Israel's defenses against swarms of drones? Jeffrey Sheff then follows up, what is the appropriate defense against swarms of small drones? 
So Iran has obviously supplied Hezbollah with drones and Hezbollah, uh, you know, has been acquiring them for many years. Hezbollah has flown them into Israeli airspace. Hezbollah has used them to target or uh, attempt to target the gas platforms off the coast of Israel. Hezbollah is estimated to have thousands of drones, although, you know, most of them could be quadcopters. These are not necessarily all game changers. Um, you know, these Hezbollah drones can be detected. They can be shut down. They're not, it's not, I don't think it's a huge threat, although I think that because the Hezbollah missile threat and precision guided munition threat is probably a big worse problem. But, the, you know, there is, of course, a, a question at some point, if there's a conflict, you know, does Hezbollah have something up its sleeve using like, you know, 40 or 50 drones to target some sort of sensitive infrastructure and try to overwhelm Iron Dome? Let's remember that Hamas did that. They tried to overwhelm Iron Dome in May 2021. They fired like 100 or 140 rocket salvos and they didn't succeed. They came close. But so are we seeing evidence of Hamas getting drones from Hezbollah and, you, and doing the sending up 50 of them? No, we're not. We're seeing one, two, three. So it's just not there yet. I think that Israel has, a, you know, Israel is probably the most heavily defended airspace in the entire world. They're just they're, they're, the pure amount of firepower Israel has is just ridiculous in terms of confronting all the stuff that's being thrown at it. And of course, the enemy is throwing a lot. So Israel is always have to keep up. And, and Israel is always making Iron Dome better, faster, you know, integrating the systems and doing all sorts of things to make these things. We don't even know some of the, some of it because obviously it's under military censorship. But the degree to which Israel is always trying to push the envelope to keep up with all the threats. And I think Israel is there because Israel's Israel's view is there can't none of these systems can get through. You can't have one drone fly into Ben-Gurion Airport. Um, you can't have one of them land at an airfield, right? Because one is too many. So if, you're, if your goal in life is zero, zero car accidents, well, you have to work really hard to make cars really safe. So if your goal is zero penetration of Israel's airspace in terms of drones and missiles, you have to work really hard. And I think Israel works really hard. And I think that you know, Israel's enemies like Iran sending drones to the Houthis in, um, you know, in Yemen. The Houthis have drones that can threaten Israel now. So the whole theory of Iran is just to give Israel lots of front lines everywhere and make it harder for Israel to deal with this like 360. And that's the that's the that's an issue. Thank you so much. And if you wouldn't mind taking just a few more moments, David Fine asks, what can we learn from the recent conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan in terms of the effectiveness of drones on the battlefield? I know we had you on for an entire webinar on this, so uh, if you could just sum that up now. In so, case so, any... the, that conflict is very interesting and important. It's one of those things where you'd say, well, it's a case study. Like if you were studying conflicts that were important to understand in the Second World War, you might study the use of air power um, in the, the, the Spanish Civil War or something. So you know, not because the Spanish Civil War is actually such a huge game changer, but just because you started to see certain types of things that were later used. So what we saw in the, uh, the, the battle between Azerbaijan and Armenia is that Azerbaijan is a country that has money and it has support uh, from Turkey and from Israel in the West, uh, some countries in the West perhaps. But Azerbaijan was not able to acquire lots of um, warplanes for its air force. Uh, Azerbaijan tries to be a friend of the West, but it doesn't want to go shopping in places like Russia or China. So that being said, what, what Azerbaijan realized was, wait, we don't have to train F-16 pilots. We can't get F-16s anyway, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to buy a bunch of drones. 
And what they did very successfully, and I think it's very fascinating, is they did acquire a lot of drones uh, from Turkey, and it's public It's public information. They acquired them from Israel. Israeli companies did business there. Uh, Israel and, and Azerbaijan are strategic partners. And Armenia, by the way, at the same time, when there was an arms race there, Armenia was just totally asleep at the wheel, and Armenia was using old uh, Soviet systems. Russia, they were totally reliant, dependent on Russia. They didn't upgrade their air defenses, and um, they went into war with a, a 1980s or 90s style Soviet uh, army, which, by the way, was fine for Armenia in the 90s. They did very good against the Azeris. But, um, you know, Azerbaijan used drones to just pick apart and totally destroy this lumbering, slow Armenian army that couldn't defend itself and, and dealt, them a very dealt them a blow. And I think it was very depressing and sad for what the Armenians have faced. I think that it does show, if you want to take a lesson away, Look, if especially for smaller countries, why why would you waste money on waiting and waiting and begging to get one F-16 when you can just buy drones? I mean, you don't need F-16s. I mean, big countries need them. But it, it would, by the way, it would have behooved, if, unfortunately, I think if Ukraine had acquired a lot more drones before the war and better air defenses, they would have been in a better position. Drones don't win wars. But drones can do what for what for Azerbaijan's type of war, which is to decimate an enemy's ground forces and allow you to move forward a bit. By the way, if the Armenians had chosen just to keep fighting forever, like the Ukrainians have done, that war would still be going on. It's just that Ukrainians or the Armenians were not able to do or willing to do, I guess, what what Ukraine has done. So that's another part of the, the story there, which is Azerbaijan won, but Azerbaijan was never going to go all the way to Yerevan with drones. It wanted to accomplish very limited goals, and it accomplished them. So it's a, it's certainly a lesson, but it doesn't tell us anything really about what big wars look like, because we're seeing in Ukraine that the drones are not winning. The, the, what's the lesson of Ukraine? That Russian drones are not winning. And look, eventually Ukraine will get the right technology, including lots of drones, and maybe Ukraine will begin to win. And now when you knit all those systems together with artificial intelligence and all this like new battlefield technology, then the drones help you win. But they're, they are not at the point yet of being what the tank was for the Germans in 1940. Great way to sum it all up. All right, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar. Before we go, can you tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work? Sure, you can find uh, Drone Wars, the book about the drone stuff on uh, Amazon or any uh, Barnes and Noble, any place. Obviously you can find my other book after ISIS, which was about the war in ISIS which about my own experiences uh, also at those places. And you can read at the Jerusalem Post, uh, my, my daily, I write, I don't know, three or four articles a day. You can read what I write at uh, Defense News. I cover defense technology. And every once in a while I write for The Hill or, I, or I, I'm, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> you can follow my Facebook if you like, I guess. All right, well, thank you so much, Dr. Francman. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Chorus for our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.